Audio chat. To connect to our always-on and always-streaming audio chat, go to audiochat.fakeologist.com. This is a new and exciting way to communicate with fellow fakeologists around the globe. Each day we compress and post the day's audio into a file that can be big or small. Discover new voices and ideas that talk about media fakery like you never did before. To listen to the live stream, go to s3.fakeologist.com. Now, on with the audio chat. All right, so I'm back in the live stream on August 6, 2018, here at fakeologist.com. Big thanks to Ab for facilitating these discussions at fakeologist.com. Anybody can come and talk about whatever they want. So if you want to talk about Angus Young and inane trivia about bands from decades ago, by all means, come along. But if you want to talk about fakeology, that is also welcome as well. I've got with me from uh, around the world, Dave J from California. We've Hello. got Bill Estet from New South Wales, Australia. Yeah, and uh, hopefully not too much of Rollo from Newcastle, Australia as well. And in the lobby, you were telling us, Dave J, about your military background. And you were saying that missiles don't work. Tell us more. No, yeah, so you have this um, one particular story is that uh, we were testing sea sparrows, which is a type of so-called anti-plane missile, and after the the first three went right into the drink, they looked just looked like, you know, bottle rockets, um, that was enough for me to, to, to submit my understanding because I, I had seen on several other occasions where these so-called, you know, um, smart weapons uh, just do not work as advertised what they are is nothing more than a projectile which is just sent out and you know a projectile works just because it's 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 uh it's forced behind the uh, behind weight and you just use you know the, the the force of weight to to send it a certain distance that's not technically that's nothing but as far as all these smart weapons that can go across you know a country and and hit a building and you know without in somebody's office window it's just all nonsense so that's and i also heat seeking missiles dave j you know those heat seeking missiles where they can be fired from say uh, an aircraft or from a from a like a water-based vessel and the missile goes into the sky and it can chase its target a heat seeking missile are you trying to tell me those things are fake dave j yeah i'm trying to tell you that they don't work as advertised can I add to that? And because you have the the naval experience, right. uh, with the torpedoes, I saw a thing that there's a torpedo that can go underwater and it has a trailing fiber optic cable so they can steer it to its target. Is that a real thing? Okay, yeah. Th- there is something called a, 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 a guide wire is what it's actually. It's called a guide wire. And that's nothing more than it's it's a simple device. It's, it's You know you have a remote control car, the the original remote control cars, you actually had a wire going to it, and you could control the car around. You do have a torpedo, Mark 48 specifically, that has a wire guide, and when it leaves the tube, uh, you can control it left, right, up, and down, and that's you can do that. However, the um, the 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 fairy tale side of it is it's going to go after an enemy submarine or a ship, and then and blow it up and, you know, all this stuff. That's where the, the, the hoax comes into play. So you have right. you have reality of a specific, you know, uh, item, 
which is a, a wire guiding, you know, uh, propulsion system. But then you have the, the the fantasy that's added to it. So you know, it, it's a it's a half truth in many cases. You know, just like rockets with NASA, you, they're just nothing. They're just overgrown. You know, the, they're they're men who go to work and they build a rocket. It goes up into up into the sky and it goes right back down to the into the water. That there's, yeah, but yeah. it doesn't go into space. It doesn't deliver payloads. It doesn't do any of the other stuff. So you see where you have to separate the fact from the fiction. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Am I the only one who was getting um, feedback from Dave J before? Are we getting echo? Or is that just me? No, I'm getting speaker echo. Oh, are you? Okay. Not sure how to fix that. And we're also getting, uh, we were getting feedback from Cody as well. I was just about to say, Cody, introduce yourself, but I think they've disappeared. So, yeah, so the war hoax, Dave J, last time you and I were chatting on the air was a couple months ago here at fakeologist.com, and uh, we were discussing the war hoax. Now, let me tell you what I think about war, and you tell me where you agree or disagree. I think war is a hoax, okay? And I think the stories we're told of World War One and World War Two are fiction. They're fictional tales, and I think that all the stories we're told about millions of people dying are complete and utter baloney. And I think the missiles that were shown, the V2 rockets, they're a joke. They're a comical clown joke. They look like clown rockets. If you go and look at the photos of the V2 rockets, they look like clown rockets. Tell me, so far, are we about on the same page? Yeah, I um, I just identify war, what, what people call war, as controlled demolition and strategic relocation. Very simple, because all the demolition that you see, which is usually filmed, you know, nice and for the for the audience, is nothing more than a building going boom in a controlled fashion. All right, or it's a part of town that, in at the end of the so-called war phase, when you go into what's called the peace dividend, that that area of town was was slated to be rebuilt anyway. So not only do you get to to destroy it. Uh, during the so-called war period, but then that area of town gets to be rebuilt during the peacetime. So all those people that were employed as, you know, quote-unquote soldiers then get to be employed as the uh, the builders during the peacetime. And then the strategic relocation aspect of it, just like with the Middle East, is you're going to try and bring a certain population from a, from a country into other countries, and that's where you have people coming from Iraq and Iran and you know Syria and all these places to <coughs> uh, to Europe and to the United States and to Canada. All that would have happened anyway, but if you get to to add the scare factor into there, that just makes it all the better. So it, that's the control. That's the, the the relocation aspect of it, meaning that that relocation would have happened anyway. However, the so-called war, the the hoax war, is is now gives it a reason for it to be happening. And then, as you clear those areas out of these countries, you get to destroy them, and then they just get wiped off the map. So to me, it's a, it's all a controlled ballet. I do think they're going to fake a World War Three, and let me tell you why I ask. Mm. There are some people who say that it's all part of an, an Albert Pike plan, fake War One, fake War Two, and then a final fake World War Three, maybe with Russia or whatever, and maybe with the nukes, maybe a nuclear, fake nuclear war, right? And then at the end there will be some kind of overt new world order. Do you think they're going to fake another major world war anytime soon? Mm. Well, I, you know, war is like an ongoing thing, that just the understanding of war, so like a, a, a huge play. 
I don't know. I, I'm not much. A, I'm not a prophet, so I really don't get into that aspect of it. I don't don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, but that whole Albert Pike character as well. I'm not not really sold on him. So uh, I'm not sold on the Three Wars memo or whatever that was supposed to have been. I'm uh, so. It's it's tough to say. I don't want to say. You know, I it is tough to say, and, and I'm not going to predict it either. I mean, I think if if you were to predict a fake World War Three, that wouldn't be uh, spreading fear because you're saying no. But even if they say there's a war, that war is fake too. It's all part yeah. of the same thing. Yeah. If absolutely. they do go down the path of trying to start a fake World War Three, though, what gets me is say that uh, World Cup that was just on. You've got Putin and these other world leaders carrying on like their best buddies. I'm trying to work out, like, I know the lemmings are hopeless, but are they so hopeless that they'll forget that Putin and the rest of them are just hanging out like buddies at the World Cup? And then I think, yeah, the lemmings are that stupid. If you tell the lemmings that we're at war, they'll believe it. They'll believe anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But also, like I say, at that level, they're all in it together. It's all it's all just a play. Well, what do you think about people like, say, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, or who's that guy who's in charge of Syria right now? What's his name? It'll come to me. Is you know the guy, Bashar al-Assad? Is that the yeah. guy? They're, what do you yeah, think about these people? Do you think they're just actors who are playing? Like, do you think they're different people who play the role of Bashar al-Assad? Or do you think they Bashar al-Assad is played by the guy who is Bashar al-Assad, but he's just playing a role? Or do you think these are actually the leaders of the country, but they know to go along with the narrative? Like, how do you think all of that works, if you had to speculate? Yeah, I would say this. If you think of it more on a business uh, aspect, meaning that the business plan's already in place, that this country is an organization, not not really a, a country of men. So it's an organization. It's a business entity, all right? And then there's, you know, you have families who have, have always had the money, who's always been in charge, and their offspring are going to be put into positions of power. And they're called presidents and kings and, and queens and whatnot. However, it's always just the best character within the family gets to play the part. You know, so if you're not part of that family, you, you don't, don't, don't think that you're going to go ahead and, and get elected into a position of, of ultimate power because you're not. You'll never get there. You're, you're going to maybe run the park service or something on the local level. But when it comes to actually any type of real power, that's reserved. That's reserved for the, the, the powers that be, the families who have always had the money and always had the power. It's it's uh it's almost, it's the um, fiefdoms, you know. Like it's always it, it's always been. It's all tribalism. Tribalism is the way it is at the beginning, and tribalism is the way it is now. You know, so they're just the best character within that family to play that role. Is all that is. See, I think we know so little about how it's really run at the top that I'm open-minded to the possibility that someone like Bashar al-Assad, he is literally some other guy playing the role of Bashar al-Assad on TV. Like, to me, that they could easily do that. How the hell would I know the difference? Or Bashar al-Assad is a real person. Like, that's the name he was given when he was born. That's the name that he's known as when he's off the TV. So he's actually a real person, but he's just playing a role you know, like, you know, he knows that his job is to play a certain role, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm open to all these possibilities, and I guess where I'm going with this is we know so little about these people that any of this could be the case. How the hell would we know the difference? We are in complete ignorance. Mm. Well, yeah. You put these men on the TV screen, 
and uh, and we get to believe whatever we want to believe. And most of the lemmings, they'll believe exactly what they're told to believe, which is that this dude is in charge of a whole country, and this dude is crazy, and this right. dude is thinking of attacking us. Holy shit, right? Yeah. Whereas to me, it's just as possible that this dude, once the cameras stop rolling, he takes off the moustache, he takes off the wig, and he goes outside, catches a cab, goes to a restaurant, has dinner with someone, and leaves his life as normal, and he'll come back for the next uh, the next day of filming next week. And then he'll be given his script. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? How the hell would we know? The difference between what you're... Des- you've, you've described three different beings, but they're really all kind of the same at the end of the day anyway. Like, even if that is a real name, it's really the person who he is... Either way, he's playing a character in a way. Like, all you're really saying is how much time does he actually sit in the office? How much paperwork actually has his name on it, you know? Like, we know all the paperwork's a big sham anyway, so am I wrong for not seeing a big difference? What what I'm suggesting is, what I'm trying to get at here is how little we know. So there's lots of people in this scene, and they'll try and tell you they know exactly what's happening. This guy is this thing, or this person is this thing, or whatever. Whereas I'm coming at it from the opposite angle. I'm saying, let me tell you what I don't know. I don't know the first thing about these people. You put this dude on my screen and you tell me that he runs Syria, right? Well, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. How the hell would I know? I know how easy it would be to just pay some dude to pretend to be Bashar al-Assad on the TV screen for half an hour. What am I going to do to verify that this guy is Bashar al-Assad off the camera, right? So what I'm trying to explore here is just how little we know. So when you say, isn't it all the same thing? Well, I don't think it is all the same thing. Like, okay, for, yeah, all I I know, for all I know, Bashar al-Assad actually does run Syria. So when the cameras stop rolling, people still take his orders. He still says to the general, how's, uh, how's the army going today? Oh, yeah, that's great, whatever. You know, he still gives the orders to people. For all I know, that's possible. But it's just as possible that the, the real military in Syria, because countries do have militaries. We've got a military here in Australia, right? There is a military. For all I know, Bashar al-Assad actually does run the Syrian military. For all I know, he is literally some dude who pretends to be Bashar al-Assad when he's on the camera for half an hour a week, reading his script. That's how little I know about the situation. Yeah, no, I get that. We've got with us uh, Cody from Memphis, by the way. Cody, don't know if you can hear us, but if you can, hello to the Fakeologist audio stream. Hello, Fakeologist audio stream. <laughs> Coming through a little bit quietly there, bro. If you can get closer to your microphone, we might be able to hear a little bit more clearly. What about now? Um, yeah, it's a little bit better. So, Dave J, man, I can't stay up all night. It's almost midnight here. But since we've got you here, I'd love to have a chat. And I was hoping to have a chat 90 minutes ago, but certain things happened. And uh, Fakeologist went into Normologist for a while. But we're back to Fakeologist.com for the time being. So, Dave J, what would you like to talk about? If you've got with you uh, myself, the world's leading skeptic, we've got Vela Seth from New South Wales, we've got Cody from Memphis. What would you like to talk about that is Fakeology related? Um... What I would like to say is that I know uh, a lot of people dismiss uh, numbers theory and and numbers uh, and words and tones understanding uh, within all this this hoax craft and you know fakeology whatever you want to call it or just what news which is nothing more than direction but uh, what I'm saying now let, let me let me go ahead and be a prophet at this moment and say that. As time goes by and as people understand how language works and how perception and understanding works, that the the numbers understanding and tone and tune understanding will become 
very important to people as they move from just discussing, you know, the basic, uh, you know, what they do or don't know about the a story as into getting into the the, the framework or the structural uh, makeup of these stories and what makes up an idea within somebody's mind. Meaning that if I say hello to you, you know, the the, the light that went off in your head, what you understood me to mean will then be uh, able to be mapped out and it will be able to be documented within, you know, within our physical realm on paper using numbers and, and, and wavelength, things like that. So that is uh, an idea, or I've, I've been trying to talk about that for years and years, and I do believe that the day is coming where that people will be more receptive to talking about that on the on the higher intellectual level, because it does take... Um, a bit of time to, to understand it's not as, as uh, accessible as just speaking about um, simple stories like the war hoax. And th- those things I find to be self-evident, war hoax and history hoax, only because it, it only takes somebody uh, a few minutes of actual research to look into, into so-called Egypt to find out that they've been sold a bill of goods on all that. So then how then did that idea spread throughout Generations. How how is that lie spread? And then that's where I I talk about the numbers, tones, and tunes as being the the vehicle that that was spread. So once you understand the method of the liar of the lie, then you can then um, see it for what it is. I mean, quite frankly, once it's put out, you can actually look at it just like a schematic and say, okay, here's where the lie started. Here's how it flows. Here we're getting into the details of it, and then here we're getting to what I call the 9-11 return function, which is where that, the figure eight, it's the same difference, where it just wraps around itself and it becomes a, a you know, a, a snake eating its tail, and the snake being the, the wave or the person, because you're the wavelength, eating its own tail, the tail being the story. Not a physical tale, but a tale meaning story. So if you then buy a story or, a, or, or you believe something to be true, every detail that comes through, you will then consume, and it will build within you a monster. And that monster is the lie. All right, and tell me, tell me if this is related to what you're talking about then with the numbers and the power of the numbers. The 9-11 Memorial in Lights, okay, every September 11 now, they did this memorial with these very powerful lights. They shine into the sky. And they shine these lights into the sky where the Twin Towers used to be. Right. And they use 88 of these powerful lights right. to shine into the sky. So goes the official story. Would this okay. tie into what you're talking about, this idea of they're using 88? And, of yeah, course, absolutely. an 8, if you look at the symbol of an 8, what is it? It starts off, it goes around, comes back again. It's the same symbol as the infinity symbol just right. on its side. They use two of these as the, the number of lights shining to the sky. Some people would say, 88, who cares, whatever. I would say, no, I think there's some significance to this. Is this kind of where you're going with this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you just take 88, specifically 88, 16 into the 7, you take building 1 and building 2, and then what's the last building that collapsed? Building 7. So then 7 is the idea of the Zion or mind or then the light put into the temple, and then the two beams standing straight up are your left and right temple, all right? So then if you put an idea within your temple, which is your mind, that is where you keep things sacred, 
either the truths you believe in or things you you choose to you know, hate or love things like that that's your temple so you give you give uh, energy to those so yeah so you have your 88 combined create 16 reduced makes your 7 which is the Zion or what do, if you look at that in symbology or Sanskrit it's going to look like a, a, a corner of what's called the sun sign which is basically what, what, what you if you put four of those together you would have the, the sun symbol which a lot of people would, would mistake and call a swastika or things like that. But this goes far beyond that. It also goes into the HH or the Heil Hitler. A lot of this stuff is put into words and tones, which are nothing more than wavelengths, but it has a deeper meaning than that. It goes back to a simple, basic reduction uh, numerology or, or number theory, which I talked about. The HH, the 88, into the 7. And then also the building one and two, which is your two beams, goes into the three, which is also goes into the seven. Because within uh, the Phoenician or the alphabet, let's say, that, that uh, it goes back to the uh, where English comes from or, or where English started, where, where numbers are, or, or letters are, 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 you know, first put together. The three and the seven are born from the same idea, and they also represent the G. So the seven is the seventh letter. So then you have a G within the, you know, there is a, a lot of uh, hoaxology with the, the Masons as well, but they also have a G within their little pyramid, and that G is also a representation of the seven. So then you have to say, now, why? It's, it's not just that they're venerating a G or geometry or all that nonsense, but it goes beyond that. It goes to the idea of a seven or into the idea of a Zion which is nothing more than the mind. So then it is your mind that is being changed. It is your mind that is being controlled. And it is your mind that they are trying to put the light into or take the light out of. Well, on that note, let me run an idea past you. A lot of people think 9-11 was a terrible, evil thing. It was horrible what they did, blah, blah, blah. <coughs> and if you think people died or got hurt, fair enough. It was horrible. People died and got hurt. No one likes that. That's bad. But if nobody died and nobody got hurt, then maybe it wasn't necessarily evil. And there are some of us who think that maybe this was uh, an event that may have been meant to be a catalyst for some of us to begin to think for ourselves, almost like a mass initiation. That is, you put a hugely deceptive event on TV that is physically impossible and ridiculous, let's be honest, and comical. I mean, the bad guy is a comical bad dude, right? He sits in a cave with a turban and he issues these fatwas against America, that's a cartoon bad guy right there, in my opinion. So yeah. they do this, and some of us realize that this is a deception, and then we develop humility. Because humility is a good thing, but a lot of us, we're trained to be egotistical. We think, oh, I've done 12 years of school, I've done 13 years of school, I know how it is. And you think you're so smart, and then you realize, oh, but I thought a cartoon plane was real, so I can't be that smart. So it forces us to go back to the start and reconsider things. So maybe 9-11 was like a form of mass initiation, trying to encourage us to develop eyes to see. What do you think about that possibility, Dave, that maybe 9-11 was not some evil thing, it was actually, uh, in some ways, maybe a good thing, maybe a benevolent thing, maybe something that it can't help everybody, not everybody was born with eyes to see, but a small uh, percentage of the population will actually benefit as a result of 9-11. What do you think of that? Well, I see uh, see what you're asking, but 
here's where I would, uh, this is what I would say to that. One, the event, uh, any, any event that's, that's done or completed and its end result or its, its goal is to deceive people into a mindset of death and destruction is, is, is by nature evil or not good. However, uh, when you do something on such a large scale, there is going to be a certain uh, amount of the population or a certain percentage of the population that is going to see it for what it is, which is a hoax or it's a controlled demolition. So then that, that's already a known, that's a known fact. Okay, it, so if, you, if you're going to pull a hoax, you know that a certain percentage, and the, the bigger the hoax, that, that percentage is going to be larger in comparison. However, it's never going to be so large that it's going to, to hurt the amount of mines that you destroyed with the lie itself. So if you put into two rooms, those that caught on to the hoax uh, in, one on, in one room, it's going to be a very small number compared to those who were deceived and brought into a state of destruction, brought into a state of mind that was a destruction tone, uh, or believing that the story, you know, hook, line, and sinker, it does, and uh, those, those populations are very different numbers. So I think that they destroyed more minds than, than were not affected, because those who see the hoax are just minds that were not affected or did not buy the light, did not, you know, didn't, didn't accept that as being a truth. All those that, that believe that that happened, accepted that false light as being true and brought that into their temple. And now that's worshipped. It's worshipped every year by a moment of silence, by a remembrance, by every time that they see the, the, the t- picture of the towers, that, that destruction is replayed in their head. And it's a constant destructive energy which they house within themselves. And it's not good. All right, then. So how about this idea that maybe sometimes to teach children uh, a moral, a moral story... We tell them a story that's not real in the hope that they will see the moral of the story. So, for instance, the boy who cried wolf. Sometimes adults will tell children, there was a boy who told all of his family or friends that a wolf was coming, and they all got scared, but he was just lying. And then he told can them I just, again. Can and I just jump in there, John, with that? That's brilliant that you bring that up, because I was just thinking of that sort of old saying. Sorry. If you like this audio and want to support the site in a small or big way, please hit the PayPal donate button on the side of the fakeologist.com webpage. You can show your support for as little as $1.19 a month by subscription or one-time donation. Thank you for your support. And uh, let me just say on that note, uh, before Ab got to the call tonight, I was promoting the website saying lovely things. So it's a bit of a shame that he and Rollo were saying that I was cranky. I was actually promoting fakeologist.com. So, uh, you know, sometimes maybe people's wires get crossed. So getting back to this idea, so you tell the children, the boy cried wolf twice. Then the third time there was a wolf. No one believed him. The boy got torn apart by a wolf. This isn't a real story. There is no real kid that got torn apart by the wolf. However... The moral of the story is don't lie about bad things happening, right? What if 9-11 can be seen in a, in a similar vein? If you're dumb enough to believe that cartoon planes killed 3,000 people, well, then you're like the retarded kid who believes there was actually a kid getting eaten by the wolves. But the point is to understand the moral of the story. Maybe there's a benefit that comes once you see that this is just a fable. Do you get what I'm trying to say? 
Well, the the thing though is that the the majority of the population uh, is being controlled by the the ramifications of that hoax, that lie, which was brought into reality strictly by having a physical manifestation of an idea. So there was no physical boy who got torn apart by a wolf just to sell the story. However, they did do a controlled demolition on a building, which then brought that into a physical being. Therefore, those people who believe that as being real can actually point to those buildings and say, look, they actually did fall down. But So I think the point's lost. I, I don't think it's a direct comparison, only in that that one story is an actual fairy tale, and it's, it, it's sold as that, and the other is, is sold as a real, true, actual event. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, one is an overt fairy tale, the other one is presented as real. However, the new, this is the point I keep making to people. The 6 p.m. news, they do not start the start of the 6 p.m. news, and they don't say everything you're about to see is real. They just start talking. They just right. start talking, right? And most of the lemming masses, through no fault of their own, they're just lemmings off the production line exactly as they were designed to be. They just think the news is real, and they think it's there to help them. But you and I, we know better than that. We're like, hold on, these these clowns are just reading from a script, right? right? That chick on the right, she's been in makeup and hair for two hours. She looks fantastic. She reads her script. This guy over here, he's been selected because he's the handsome guy. Lovely jawline, lovely hairline. He's just reading from a script. He was probably in makeup for an hour as well. In fact, he was probably in makeup and hair for two hours as well. And these two clowns read their script, and only the idiots believe that this is real. You see? Yeah, I was talking the other day about uh, how even news itself is presented in stages throughout the day. You have in the morning when you first wake up and are more susceptible to uh, suggestion, you usually have panel discussions and morning shows, which include a, a large variety of voices. Then you move into the evening news or the early evening news where you usually have a, a back and a forth or, or two people, a, a two-panel you know, desk. And then you move into the late news, which is usually a single person somebody who that person might see as an authority figure giving them the day's report. So you see how it, it goes for, it's, it's almost like a pyramid shape. So you go from a large foundation in the morning uh, where you, your mind's a, a bit more capable of thinking because you're refreshed into the evening where it's funneled into a single authoritative voice which gives you the, the news of the day. And this is when, when you go to sleep tonight, this is what you need to remember happened today. <laughs> I, I find it to be, uh, it's very simple to see from, from my perspective, but I, I'm not sure most people have observed that type of uh, corralling throughout the day. Yeah, and it's funny too. Like, you get it, so it's funny too. This is what jokes do. When we get the joke, it's funny, right? <laughs> so if someone tells a joke and 28 people in the room don't get it and they sit there, they're like, what, what, what? But there's two people at the back having a good chuckle. They get the joke, right? Right. The joke's only funny when you get it. So right. you get the joke. I get the joke. Most of the lemming masses, man, they're never going to get the joke. But this is sometimes high humor. This is how it works. Like, it. Sometimes the funniest jokes can only be funny to a small percentage of the audience because it takes a creative or a thinking capacity that most in the audience just don't possess. But that doesn't mean the joke is bad. It doesn't mean the jokers are bad, does it? Um, the, yeah, I understand what you're, what you're asking, but here's the thing. If, if anyone who's trying to, and this is what I, according to me, 
anyone who's trying to deceive somebody through violence, all right? And all of this news is, is using violence to, to achieve an end is not in, is wrong, is wrong as far as I'm concerned, because that's not how you lead people. You don't lead people through violence, all right? What if some people want to be deceived, though? Like, what if some humans desperately want to be deceived? No matter how silly you and I think that is, like you and I, when I have a conversation with Dave J, if we're having a serious conversation and you're telling me about your experience in the military, I want you to tell me your honest experience. And then if you ask me my experience here in Brisbane City, you want me to tell you my honest experience, right? So you and I want to have a serious conversation because that's the kind of people we are. But what if most people actually want to be deceived? They hate the truth. They hate people who care about the truth. They would rather talk about inane nonsense. That's more pleasant for them. And deception is pleasant for them. The truth, they actually, it pisses them off on a fundamental level. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I notice that a lot when I speak about uh, wavelengths and tones and tunes because to me that is the, the, the foundation of understanding the system because just our conversation right now is all, it's all wavelength. Every bit of it is tone. It's wavelength. If, if um, when you speak, you speak in a specific tone, your words are coming to me through a wavelength. So then that to me is the, the base. If you understand that, you can understand everything. However, most people, uh, in my experience, do not want to talk about that because they, they find it, they'll claim it's over their head or they'll claim it's boring. And to me, it's, it's, it's the understanding of everything. If you if you understand tones, tunes, wavelengths, colors, and and impression, then you understand what what's going to happen through every news report, every uh, newspaper report, because all of it is the same thing. It's all about tones and tunes, every bit of it. Well, I want to come back to that, and I want to ask your opinion on the jet fuel hoax. There are people out there, Dave J, saying that jet fuel is a hoax, and by that they mean that the planes that fly from one country to another. Yeah, they're flying, but they ain't flying on jet fuel. I want your opinion on that. Before we get that, Velocet's being quiet. Velocet, what's your opinion on this? You've heard me say this many times. I believe the Lenning Mass... I used to believe they wanted the truth, okay? But it turns out they don't. turns out humans don't actually want the truth. This is my opinion. I could be wrong. Tell me, do you... Do you you've had more time to think about what I'm trying to say, Velocet. Is it possible that maybe 9-11, if no one died and no one got hurt, which to me is clearly the case then maybe it wasn't necessarily a bad thing after all. Maybe. It's interesting that you tied it into being um, sort of an esoteric thing for some people to become aware of mass initiation. Because it goes back into that thing about um, sort of destroying the ego and it becoming soul-shattering and you start to realise that your life has been sort of completely a narrative up until that point. And you sort of end up in that black abyss and that's where our Twin Towers ended up in those dual black holes that are left um, in New York. You know, I find that interesting. So that's where our narrative ends. Um, but, yeah, I've been around people enough now with this belief to start to see that no matter how much hard I try or want to talk about these things with people, um, they're not ready to hear it and I'm not sure they will ever be ready to hear it. And there's not really much I can do about that. If if they enjoy the TV and the stories they're being told as much as they do, uh, maybe it's in their best interest to let them enjoy that. And it's a bit of a uh, a sort of controlled uh, or a control, like an experiment. It's a control for them to sit and enjoy their lives and have uh, some simulated ups and downs 
uh, without ever being in too much danger on the roller coaster. And boogeymen. So, they've got boogeymen in foreign countries who wish them harm. And they've got protectors. You know, the people who take the money from their... Like they, they get their pay and it says, you've earned $1,000. And we just uh, took uh, 350 bucks. Hey, that 350 bucks is helping pay for the military to protect me from that bad dude in the cave with the turbans, man. All his little acolytes, because, you know, he was training lots of uh, little miniature Bin Ladens and stuff as well. So, like, it actually makes them feel better to think that this is how the world works. They actually feel better that way. They feel more comfortable believing in boogeymen and protectors from boogeymen than they would feel believing that on 9-11 no one died, no one got hurt. It's like, hold on, hold on you would rather believe that 3,000 people died than consider the possibility that maybe nobody died. You're actually, you're actually more comfortable believing that 3,000 innocent people in one go and they were jumping to their death? Really? You're actually more happy to believe? Yes, as ridiculous as this sounds. Well, it seems obvious to us. It seems obvious to us that it's a bizarre thing to want to believe that people die, yet people do want to believe that and they want to believe in horrible things. But... Um, I forget my point. Now. People I was just want to say, believe I did... from bacteria, man. That should be the litmus test for a serious conversation. And if I was a smarter man, maybe I would do this. Before any attempt at a serious conversation, just look the person in the eye and tell me, between you and me, and I'm not going to try and change your mind, just be honest with me, between you and me, do you believe you evolved from bacteria? Yes or no? And if they say yes, say, well, fair enough then. And then just bid them adieu and move on with my life. Why would I want to have a serious conversation with a person who honestly believes they evolved from bacteria? Right. Well, it shifts accountability as well. Like, I mean, if people have got a boogeyman to blame, it takes a lot of accountability off their life. I mean, imagine if the truth really was out there. Imagine if we were never given all these hoaxes and bullshit to believe in. There'd be a lot more pressure on people to really be concerned about the afterlife and what they were doing. And it reminds me of a, a Ricky Gervais thing I heard the other night. He said... All these people hang on. He's a, he's a devout atheist, which I don't really believe in either. But um, he said, like, why are all these people so keen on heaven? He goes, if you've wasted your life, why, why wouldn't you waste heaven, you know? Like, <laughs> if you're not standing up to do something good in your own life now, what, what is the evidence that that's ever going to change? Yeah, well, I, for one, uh, and people look at, some people, when they hear me say this, they get very uh, triggered by it. They won't admit that they're triggered, but that's what happens. They get tense and their mind starts getting dark about JLB, and they think, no, I hate this guy. When I say 9-11, maybe that was one of the biggest favours the people who run the show ever did us. Like, they, how much more ridiculous could they make it, okay? If the clown rockets from World War II weren't enough to make people ask questions, let's just up the ante and have uh, these buildings collapse from cartoon planes flying into them, right? Let's, let's go all out here and make this as obvious as we can We've got a fake boogeyman in the cave, fake planes, bringing down buildings with 3,000 fake victims, and uh, somehow the buildings came down and, and uh, you know, from, from planes flying into them. And we also had the, the Pentagon as well. We'll never even show them footage. We won't even bother faking footage. We'll just tell them we've lost the footage. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I do wonder about this, though. I would, I would love to chat with the people who are behind this and ask them, like, because you know how when you're writing a sitcom, the story goes that you get, like, ten writers around, and they spitball ideas, and then once they've come up with a script, they give one or two people the job of writing the script for that episode, right? Is that how they did 9-11 as well? Like, who were the writers in the room, and what kind of conversations were they have, and whose idea was it to not even give the fake footage to the Pentagon? 
Like, who was the one who said, no, 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 how about we give them no footage for the Pentagon? And then someone's like, what do you mean no footage? No, we'll tell them that we've got 50 cameras at the Pentagon, but none of them caught the plane. And someone's like, I like it, I like it, put that one in. <laughs> like, what was, what was the logistics of how they came up with this ridiculous narrative? Yeah. Someone had to have done it, no. didn't they? I do owe them thanks for that, then. If that's the way you put it, then, yeah, without that, I, I wouldn't have woken up to the things that I did. And now I sit down, and if I look at the TV and Trump's on there, I see, like like Dave Jay's talking about with uh, the way the news is presented. You see, like uh, someone in my mindset now, you see straight through it. You go, this is laughable that the, the, anyone would believe <laughs> that, the, that this person's in charge of anything. It's it's blatant, a Lear television show. Well, you know, John... So, so it did help oh, me wake up, I guess, the fact that it was so cartoonish. No, go ahead, Dave. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, that the, the Pentagon idea for the start of a love of war, quote-unquote, is is something that's been used several times. In fact, uh, with the, the hoax known as the Civil War, that Fort Sumner was, in fact, the shape of a Pentagon as well, and it was supposed to have been attacked uh, by, a, by this guy, this Indian guy. And anyways, it was in the shape of a Pentagon as well, so it's it's... It also goes into the geometry side and the, the, the shapes and models, which I've talked about before, to where a lot of this stuff is not, it's not new. It's just a, uh, it's a newer version of the same thing. That's being well, I think yeah. you're like, so, that, so you're uh, on the Pentagon. Sorry, go ahead, John. Oh, just, just quickly, on the Pentagon, if you look up the official story of when the ground was broken, so when you build a building, it's a significant day when the ground is broken, right? Right. The Pentagon was where the ground was broken in 1941 on a particular date. Would you like to guess the date of the official groundbreaking in 1941 for the Pentagon? Of all day, of 365 days that you could have had the ground broken for the Pentagon, would you like to guess what the date was that they broke ground? September 11. September 11. What are the odds of that? So so they even managed to weave these ridiculous coincidences into their stories as well, right? Like how many of these hints, how many of these sink winks or these Easter eggs do they have to put into the story for someone to see, hold on, there's something not quite right here? So if you're saying that with September 11, 2001, Dave J is saying it's a Pentagon that kicks off that action and he's saying a few generations prior we have another Pentagon symbol kicking off that action. It reminds me of John Taylor Gatto's work, and what stood out to me about that is the fact that the masses will be kept with their, uh, you know, their soma and all that kind of stuff. They'll be raised to be, uh, you know, the underclass, but a, a small proportion will be taken and taught how to keep the system running. Do you think, John, that, that he's talking about something that actually happens in primary school, or do you think he, that, that's a little acknowledgement of the fact that there are sim- signs and symbols there to alert those who wish to inform themselves that they, they can take on that role, so which Yeah, I would love to know, like, and I don't think I will ever get to know. I think this is one of those mysteries that we, the regular people, don't get to find out, like, how it's actually done. Are people born into families and sent to uh, elite schools or, or private, private schools, as in secluded from the masses, how is it done? Like, how do people find themselves in a position where they get to carry on the storytelling, if we assume that all of these humans have roughly similar lifespans, obviously some of these people seem to live a lot longer than we do, but 
like they're still dying after 90 or 100 years, right? If we assume that they do have a, a set period on this earth, then the storytelling has to continue intergenerationally. So how does that happen? Is like, is it, could a person from the regular masses ever become one of the, the top level storytellers? And obviously I don't know the answer. But I'd love to know. I, I don't think we'll ever get to find out, to be honest. But um, if they're hiring, if, if they're hiring, uh, you know, I know some pretty clever people out Brisbane way and, uh, you know, for the right price, I'll tell you what, mate. Yeah. Yeah, there's so Dave Jay, Dave Jay, I'm only mucking around, man. Come on, I would never join, never join. Yeah. Wouldn't join him for less than 150 grand a year. Plus a car and a phone. Yeah, I wouldn't join him for any price. Really? But what yeah. if they came to you, Dave Jay, and they said, listen, Dave, they said, listen, Dave, listen, you've got us all wrong. We're only telling stories to the living masses who want the stories. We don't want to hurt anybody. In fact, we're not hurting anybody. We haven't hurt a single person. Boston bombings, no one died, no one got hurt. Sandy Hook, not a single soul died or got hurt. It's all fake. The Civil War, you're 100% correct, Dave J. You were the first one to crack the code. Fake. Completely fake. No one died, no one got hurt. Didn't even happen. Actually, the good guys here, you know, and, and you know, come and just come and, have, come and have lunch. It's on us. Let us explain to you. Would you at least hear them out? No. No, I mean, when I say not for any price, I mean not for any price. So when I gave everything up to do what I did in the Philippines, that was to actually help people I could help, you know, get go from generational poverty and give them a starting point, you know, to where they could pass an actual business on to a future generation. I, unlike a lot of people in this in this um, discussion, I, I don't shy away from, from speaking uh, the truth of, of who I work for, and that is Jesus Christ alone. Right? That's who that's who I answer to. So uh, I don't go to church. I don't. I'm not bothered with any uh, um, uh, allegiance to any specific uh, book or or version of a book. Because when I was saved, I was saved through uh, quite literally inter- an interdiction in my actual life, meaning that when I was about to end it. For where, I mean, I was about to, to end it for real, take my own life. I was stopped, right? And I was given the actual understanding, which I have now, all in one shot, all at one time, and I was brought into understanding. And then, uh, as far as I understand, my, my, you know, I guess people say a mission or life's purpose is, is to put out what I know to be actually verifiable truth, what I can see as far as uh, my experiments go. All right. So then that's that's what I started to do. And and a lot of times you have to fight uh with what you're being given, you know, as as an intellectual light or or a, an understanding of, of, against what you thought you knew. So a lot of times I thought I knew something, you know, that was it was obviously schooled into me and I had to to actually exercise that out. I mean, forget about it, take it out of my my temple and destroy it. Break, break everything within the temple and let it be rebuilt, you know, with just observation. So a, a lot of things that uh, I did believe to be true were, in fact, not, and that all had to go by the wayside, which is fine. You know, no, no, when, you, when you stop believing in something that wasn't true anyway, you don't lose anything. No, all. but it feels like you do. Man, I, it was a huge blow to my ego at the time. When I realised what a complete utter moron I was, Dave. Let me tell you, let me tell you some of the ridiculous nonsense that I believed, despite 13 years of school, 
several years of university education, uh, reading more books than the average person, maybe not a complete bookworm, but I read more books than the average person. I watched the news. I paid attention. I thought I was smart. And yet, let me tell you what I believed up until just a couple of years ago, Dave J. I right. believed that I evolved from bacteria. Okay? I was convinced of that. Right. I believed that I was mostly empty space, that my body was made of these things called atoms that I could never see, but that's what I was made of, and I was mostly empty space. I believed that millions of years ago, the Earth was inhabited by these gigantic creatures that were kind of like lizards and kind of like birds, and they stomped around. Ooh! I'm talking gigantic creatures, Dave. Like I'm right. talking creatures with necks longer than a bus, right? Just walking around. Mm. That's just the tip of the iceberg of what I used to believe, Dave. I thought I was a smart person. I was convinced that I was an intelligent, thoughtful, uh, well-educated... Well, I was well-educated, but not in a good way. But I was convinced that I knew what was going on. Yeah, I told you you the story, right, about when I had to redo the second grade, right? When they, they made me redo the second grade because I wouldn't buy off on the... The Apollo landing, among among other things, I I I within the class, I told the teacher that I because they were bringing it up during one of the little uh, holidays or one of the remembrances, I had questioned it and I said this doesn't look real. This looks, you know, I I had all kinds of questions about it. And then at the end of that year, they told me that I wasn't uh, following the curriculum properly, so I would have to redo the second grade. And after that year, I realized how that I didn't have to believe what I was putting down on the paper. I just had to put it down on the paper, meaning that they want something in 1876. I didn't have to believe that it happened then, but as long as I put it down on the paper, I would pass the class. So that's when I learned how to to play the system. Well, uh, playing the system is a big part of uh, the modern experience. I'll tell you what, I've got to go because it is half past midnight. But before I do, and this is how I'm going to promote this call when I re-upload it to johnthebond.com. Right. What people are talking about right now is the jet fuel hoax. Uh There is this idea that uh, the planes that people fly in from one country to another, because the fuel is supposed to be in the wings, you see. That's the story. That's the official story, is that the fuel is stored, not all of it, but most of it, in the wings, right? And so when a plane is on the tarmac refueling, or it's at an airport refueling, that uh, hoses or pipes of some variety are pumping a huge amount of fuel into the wings and into, I guess there's some in the fuselage as well, but a lot of it into the wings so that when this bad boy takes off into the air, that's where the fuel is coming from. That's roughly the official story. So there are people saying, actually, no, we think that's not true. We think there's no, we don't think it's fuel that's doing this. We think these uh, planes are powered some other way. And some of these people will say, you couldn't possibly put that much fuel in the wings. The wings couldn't structurally support it. Or they couldn't pump that amount of fuel into the wings in that space of time. Or where is all of this fuel coming from? How come we don't just see tons of tankers making their way to and from the airport? Like, I've been to Melbourne Airport many times. I don't see tons of fuel tankers going back and forth. (laughs) So, So where the hell is the fuel coming from? Some of these people would say. So what I want to do is get your opinions. Everybody on the call, Dave, Jay, Vela said, and Cody from Memphis, if you can hear us. I'm going to shut up. Let's go around the round table. You guys tell me, do you believe that planes are flying across the sea from one continent to another with fuel in the wings? Do you believe that? And uh, if you do believe that, are you open-minded to the possibility that maybe 
we're being deceived about this playing field. Let's go first to uh, let's go around in alphabetical order. Let's go to Cody, then to Dave, then to Velocet. Cody, do you do you believe that these planes are flying on jet fuel? And if so, do you believe the fuel is in the wings? What do you believe about all of this? I'm going to put myself on mute. Uh, okay, can can y'all hear me very good? Yep, can hear you fine. Okay, uh, just I can't speak specifically about airplanes, but I can speak about uh, helicopters. I was on a destroyer at one point in time, and we did refuel those things with JP8 fuel. So yeah, yeah. I can't speak about airplanes though. What kind of destroyer were you on? Uh, DDG. Uh, so the the uh, Aegis class. Oh, okay. I was on a uh, Spru- I was on a Spruance. Yeah. Among others, but that was the latest, the last one I was on. So I guess. So I, my my uh, you know, opinion on this thing is that um, fuel is being burned, as far as I can tell. Uh, the amount of fuel that's being burned may be a point of discussion, and it may be that um, the elevation and the buoyancy of, of the the aircraft. Uh, when it's at its cruising altitude, may not be uh, accounted accounted or accounted properly as far as what what they claim the the physical uh, aspects of the flight pattern are. To me, I think that it's actually um, the planes are governed at a slower speed than what they could be flying at, which is where I I think I might tend to put my uh, 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 hoax theory at or, or conspiracy theory that that flight travel is is uh, limited or it's governed at a slower speed than what is actually possible. So that's where I might throw a monkey wrench into this discussion. So I think that there, it's really just a speed um, conspiracy more than a fuel conspiracy. So, But I'll have to look more into the actual fuel thing to give you a better idea. From my understanding, the speed is um, they're flown at the most efficient rate uh, even though they are capable of going faster. But I, I know that from first-hand experience in my own car. I sit at, uh, if I'm on a, a motorway, I can sit at 110 is the best efficiency. If I try to go at 120 and lock it on cruise control, it actually uses more fuel uh, because of where the engine's optimised to perform. Um, as far as the fuel stuff goes, I haven't seen the claims of people saying that jet fuel is a hoax. But, I mean, um, the idea of putting fuel tanks in the wings doesn't seem that crazy uh, mechanically. I mean, the wings are what provide the, the lift um, to the aircraft, so it would make sense that that's where you would put the fuel um, strength-wise for the plane. Um, and, I mean, I know from the size of the fuel tank in my car that you don't need an enormous amount of fuel to get decent mileage. Like, um, I mean, I don't know how big they expect fuel tanks to be in a plane, but I don't think they have to be all that big for the kind of distances covered. If you scaled it to a car, I think it would probably work out um, probably quite similar. But yeah. no, I'd, I'd have to see the claims of these these people before I uh, could speak any more to it. Yeah, I have to do the same thing. Look at the uh, actual few of the videos and see what the actual the claims are because I'm a little bit in in the grey as far as what the actual conspiracy is. Yeah, I get what you're saying. This one, I first heard of this one uh, early, much earlier this year. I even did a live show, but it was one of those live shows where I did the live show and then I decided to uh, put it on um, unlisted. And I might re-upload it in the future, but let me tell you what I like about this theory, like what makes me think, hmm, they could be onto something, and what makes me think, ah, but maybe they've gone too far this time, right? If you think about the power of leverage or the effect that it has on 
like a structural support beam or a structural support mechanism, the further out that something is from the, uh, I guess, the point of support, the more downforce that uh, is, like I'm, I'm not a physicist, but you're going to try to say here, you imagine the further away something is from what is supporting that structure, the more effect it has every bit of weight that you put on it. Yeah, so the these more leverage. wings, the more, it's, we're talking about leverage, exactly. So the, the more weight that you put in that wing, the further from the fuselage, the stronger that wing has to be just to keep the wing up when it's full of fuel, right? Now, how strong is aluminium or whatever they're using to build these wings? I don't know. But it makes me think, gee, how how strong would these wings have to be? So it got me thinking, hmm, this this is interesting. And then it is true. Like, I have been to the airport many times, and I don't see a ton of fuel tankers going back and forth. So where yeah. is that fuel coming from? That's not proof of anything, but it does get me wondering, like, how much fuel... I mean, an airport, say Brisbane Airport, right? There are planes going in and out of that place all the time, right? And you would imagine these planes have to be refueled. So where is that fuel coming from? So it got well, me wondering. I, can, I was going to say, if I can speak to a couple of things there. Um, our local airport here um, in Sydney, it's right near Port Botany. So I believe there is a direct fuel line. <laughs> they don't need trucks. They actually have a direct fuel line from, from the shipping terminal, um, the, the actual fuel supply. But, um, yeah, you, you, you've got a good you've got a good point. You've got a good point about the the weight when the plane's on the ground. Because I was thinking about it in the air, going the wings are providing the lift, so the wing would be the place you want the weight. The actual body of the plane, the fuselage, is just being carried along for the ride. Right. But um, yeah, it makes sense when you say they're just sitting on the ground. That would be an incredible amount of support required to actually hold that weight up there. Yeah, but you're right about the fuel lines. Like they could just be underground. The fuel doesn't have to go in fuel tankers to get to the airport. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I see is the beauty of some of these claims that people put out there is if they get you to start thinking through the logistics for yourself, and if you can't come up with a, an easy answer, then you can always just look it up. Like, what is the story here? What is the story? So I did look into this one, and uh, I didn't find it convincing, but I can see why people would want to believe in the jet fuel hoax, like to believe that it is a hoax, because then... It opens up the idea of, ooh, free energy. And it, it staggers me to this day, but speak to the average uh, act realm person, so people who are into alternative conspiracy truth, I call it the act realm. Speak to the average person who's here. They, Not all of them, but they generally do tend to have a fascination with the concept of free energy. And I don't know why that is, but they love the idea of free energy. They especially love the idea of Nikola Tesla free energy, and so I think the plain fuel hoax sort of taps into that innate desire, like, ooh, if they're hoaxing the fuel, what are they covering up? Oh, they're covering up the uh, free energy. You get what I'm trying to say? Right? Yeah. So, ah, oh, the Nikola Tesla strikes again. I think that's what it taps into. So I'm, I'm not saying the jet fuel hoax is definitely false. I'm not saying that uh, it can't. I mean, they can fake anything. We live in a world where the lemmings will go along with anything, right? <laughs> but it doesn't mean that everything is fake. So the jet fuel hoax me personally. I say uh, the jury is still out. But from what I'm hearing, the jury is saying, nah, uh, not guilty. What say you? Well, money is our lifeblood. So, I mean, any kind of hoax that tap into the idea more light in your pocket, um, it's very easy to get on board, isn't it? 
Yeah, and I mean, also, most of us have flown on planes, so there's also... One of the things that people love about a lot of these hoaxes, or the theories of hoaxes, is the mind blow. So Mm. if you speak to the average flat earth... I don't want to get you started on this one, Dave, but the average person who's really into flat earth, like that, this is what their main interest is, the people who say, oh, it's the most important conspiracy, there's this mind blow. It's almost like a drug, in a way. Like, they, they get this rush from, whoa, like, what a great deception. So because most of us have been on planes, to think that that plane wasn't full of fuel, it can give a, a certain mind blow to those who seek it, if you get what I'm trying to say. Like, whoa, you know? And then a lot of us live close enough to airports where we can see the planes. So people who buy into the jet fuel hoax, every time they see a plane, they get like another little mini bump, don't they? Like, whoa. <laughs> if, they're, if they're near someone, they can be like, remember how I told you about the jet fuel hoax? And, uh, yeah, so... So yeah, that, that's where I sit on it. So now that you guys have had a chance to think about it, Cody, Dave, Jay, like, if, yeah, on first impressions, en- what do you think? Well, the, yeah, the free energy uh, conspiracy theories, that that's a, an oldie but a goodie. That's been around as long as I can remember. So that, that, that this just may be an iteration or an added chapter to that, like you were saying. Yeah, do you want to believe me, in I never Tesla, Dave, Jay? No, all that's, I, I never was much of a fan of the free energy side of the, what about Nikola Tesla as a character, though? So, th- so the story is that there was this dude who was this like great inventor from uh, from Serbia or Czechoslovakia or that part of the world, right? And he uh, invented these great inventions, but the Westinghouses or the Morgans or some clan uh, drove him out of business or didn't support him when they could have supported him, and he died in poverty in like the 1940s, and um, he's been written out of the history books because they don't want the masses getting his free energy, or this kind of crap. Here's the thing about that, though. There's just too much on on this person who's supposedly not written out of history, and there's too much on the supposed uh, inventions to to even have that story make any sense. So, to me, if you wanted to, to build a, uh, let's say, a, a, a Tesla cage or anything like that, you can do that. However, you're going to find that the, the results are... are while there are results, you can you can get results. It's not going to be you know free energy. You're not going to be running your house from. It, it, it's a it's a different type of uh, um, electrical energy that we're talking about. We're talking about uh, let's say the, the 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 Tesla cage and the Tesla coil things like that. A lot of that is actually given that person's name, and it's actually it, it is in use. So it's it's not as if that that so-called uh, person's technology has been forgotten about even, and I don't buy that that character actually was a was a real person. It was just like I say, it was just a an act. It's just yet another character put it in the history. But you just know too much about him to have actually been somebody who's been forgotten about. Excellent point. Yeah, he hasn't been written out of the history books at all, despite what some conspirators will try and tell you. On the contrary. They got David Bowie of all people to play Nikola right. Tesla in a Hollywood in a major Hollywood film called right. The Prestige. Right? right. They, they didn't even just get some regular run-of-the-mill actor. They got David Bowie of all people to play Nikola Tesla. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, if you look into Nikola Tesla's writings, which I did, I went and read the books that are attributed to him. You know what he claims? Nikola Tesla claims to have communicated. With Martians. Well, there you go. Hmm. Yeah, it gets better. He claims to have passed a gigantic electric charge uh, comparable to Niagara Falls hydroelectricity 
through his body and melted the wires that he was holding with his hands, but he himself was left unscathed. Oh, that's a Superman story. That's that's oh. that's a story straight. In fact, Tesla predates Superman. I think Superman stole it from Tesla. Hey, I did the same thing the other week. Oh, well, while you were communicating with the Martians, right? Yeah, we can just claim <laughs> just, but he didn't do you. all that. He didn't do all that on the same day, I hope. I'll have to go back and double check. It was quite a busy but day. If, if, if he says that he did it three weeks apart, it does make yeah. the story more plausible. <laughs> After yeah. it, after it made the world spin by flying around it. Yeah right. Oh yeah right. That was a good scene in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, just before you wrap up, you posed the question earlier, John. Chat. Besides nine eleven, what was the biggest hoax that changed your life? And I was wondering if each person would maybe just take two minutes to go around and explore that um, before we say goodnight. Great idea, yeah, that was what I wanted to talk about. That was, I was going to sit down and make a video tonight for YouTube, right? Because I've got the day off tomorrow, so I thought stuff at all. I've got some free time, I'll make a video. And I wanted to make a video explaining the fact that there's a couple of hoaxes that I look back now, like I've had enough time now to think about them, you know, in many different ways, if that makes sense. And so that was what I wanted to make a video about. And then Rollo wanted to have a chat. Next thing we're in the live stream. So that was what I wanted to talk about at the start of the call, but then we got sidetracked into, um, Ab shit canning my website and then uh, some other stuff and then blah, blah, blah. But um, that's a great way to finish the call. That's a great idea. Let's do it in uh, in alphabetical order. What was the, if you could just, apart from 9-11, you can't include that one. Any other hoax, which one do you think humbled you the most, right? So when you realized that you'd been deceived, you thought to yourself, shit, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. What was that hoax? And uh, Cody, you're first up in alphabetical order. What was the? We're, we're assuming that you're a fakeologist, by the way. Like I'm assuming that you are, you're aware that on 9/11 no one died, no one got hurt, and that's not a debatable thing, or at least it shouldn't exactly. be in the audio chat live stream. If you think people died and got hurt, that's totally cool. But there's a million other websites full of blue-pilled normies to chat with. Right. Yeah, there's no need to do it here at fakeologist.com. So Cody, we're assuming that you know that no one died, no one got hurt. But apart from 9/11, what was the biggest hoax that truly made you realise? Damn, I am not as half as intelligent as I thought I was. Well, uh, uh, the thing that I recall feeling, like, as far as emotions and having, you know, uh, these feelings of the the world is really, really crazy, uh, was uh, whenever Sandy Hook happened, I was actually paying paying close attention to the live coverage and uh, you know the live coverage was saying multiple shooters people running off in the in the forest and you know all these suspects and and then the next day you know the, the narrative had just formed into this nice little little package and that and I'd never noticed something like that before you know and so that really kind of spiraled me out right there, Andy Hook. I think he might have got lost in the woods. Yeah, his, uh, his audio is not too good, but I think he was just saying Sandy Hook. And like yeah. for a lot of us, I call these baby hoaxes, Sandy yeah. Hook and Boston bombings. That was my foray into the world of hoaxery. And I still remember when I first found out that no one died, no one got hurt at Boston. Nice. And I spent a few days like going through... PK, like I'm not proud of this, but PK was a YouTube uh, channel that I used to watch a lot of when I first got into this. 
PK, uh, Jeffrey C. There was a guy called Red Pill Revolution as well. And um, Team Wake Em Up. Yeah, those were the four. And then also, um, what was that chick's name? You might remember her, Dave. What was that girl's name? She had awesome production quality videos. Uh, um, you, you'll know. There, there aren't many chicks who do this kind of thing, and she was one of the few. And, no, I know um, exactly who it is. They all, but the, all those people came after me for one reason or another. They all had... That's why I know them all, is because they all had a beef with me. Um, trying to remember her name. I, I, oh, when the name comes to me. But yeah, you get what I'm trying to say. So, what, so I spent days or weeks just going through these videos, and I, yeah, I remember that. Like, holy crap, how the hell can they get away with lying about, uh, you know, dead school kids or whatever? Of course, now I realize that is, uh, that's a nothing hoax compared to the bigger hoaxes, right? That's not to say that it's not important or not significant, but in the grand scheme, you've got millions of humans believing that they evolved from bacteria or monkey-like creatures, you know, taking their kids to so-called science museums to look at rocks. Right. <laughs> rocks that are supposedly the dead skeletons of uh, million-year-old monsters. That's what dinosaurs are, you realise, monsters, right? You know this better than I do, David. They're, they're dinosaurs are monsters, but they're scientific monsters. Yeah, it's okay right. to believe in these monsters, right? right. If, you had a, if you had a bunch of children telling you that they found an extinct monster, like, Mom, Dad, we found this gigantic monster. We think this thing was like 30 feet big. You'd be like, kids, shut up. But when it's experts saying that it's a 70 million year old monster, it's like, whoa, get that guy some money. Let's build a museum. This is a great find, right? It is yeah. monsters for adults. So, so when you think about that, it puts, it puts Sandy Hook into perspective. Like it's, that's a that's a baby hoax compared to some of the bigger stuff in my yeah, mind. You were thinking about Betsy McGee. Betsy uh, McGee, that's the one. Yeah, uh, yeah the um, so the biggest one that got me was uh, of course the Apollo hoax was that was early in my life. I knew that was a hoax. So that was kind of that gave me a lot of trouble in the seventies and eighties because people you just didn't have the access to the internet and and people just thought you know, they could call you a loon because you had no way to to back up your claims. But you know later in life the uh, the biggest was once I looked into and discovered the 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 war hoax and and how big that was and and what that then affected that was the probably the biggest um, discovery I made you know and then of well, course still, that, I've said this to you before Dave your work on uh, some of the because you looked at specific war hoaxes right rather than saying right. all war is a hoax you looked at the civil war one and there I might have that. been another one as well I maybe Vietnam I can't remember. Falklands, yeah. Falkland, yeah. And yeah. so, so some of that stuff, man, like, um, I don't agree with everything you say, like, and hopefully, hopefully you don't agree with everything I say, like, we're not supposed to agree about everything, but some of your stuff was years ahead of the pack, and the pack still isn't catching up. Like, that must, you must think about that sometimes. You were talking about, like, Princess Diana hoax, what, five, six, seven years ago? Yeah. Most <laughs> of the act realm to this day doesn't yeah. realize that that was a hoax to this day. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, it's a uh, it's nuts, and also what that led into was the the history side of the hoax, and it just leads. And as long as you keep going, if you just keep going, if you make a discovery and then continue to keep going instead of stopping, you'll find out more and more and more, and then you just lead yourself right out of the uh, you know the abyss. What about your ancient Egypt stuff? Do you remember where you were when you first 
Like, oh, okay. do, you remember, do you remember where you were when you first realised, like in your own mind, you're, you were thinking to yourself, hold on a second here, these ancient um, pyramids and this sphinx, these are not thousands of years old. Like, do you remember when that first oh. went through your head? Yeah, I do. I recall when uh, the King Tut um, exhibit came through Los Angeles in the 80s. My parents brought me to it, and I was looking at it as a, as a kid, and I was just looking at it, thinking to myself, this stuff doesn't look old to me. Plus, it doesn't look very good. It looks a little bit almost like costume jewelry or cheap. And it was just something that was always in my head. But let's just say that that, that was put into the back of my head, and then we fast forward to... Um, Shoot, I guess 2009, 2010, somewhere in that area. I just finally decided to sit down and to actually look at all the pictures I could find of Egypt and ancient Egypt. And, and, and I went into when did that become a big, uh, topic in, in culture. And I found it to be, uh, the late 1800s into the early 1900s. Right? So then I discovered, or I wanted to find out, now why did it take so long for that to become a hot topic? And then I, the, the idea of amusement park jumped into my head. Just the, those two words, amusement park. And then I went in and I looked, started looking at the pictures and then I, I found some uh, information about, uh, you know, expeditions going there and armies and the armies not consisting of Armies of you know armed men, but armies of architects, engineers, and artists, and this would have been in the the late 17th into 1800s. So then I just started to look into it, and that's where I placed the actual building of what I call the amusement park, which is called the the, the Gaza Plateau, which is to me was built as an amusement park uh, in somewhere in the late 1700s to 1800s. And Excellent. That's a terrific yeah. answer, man. And you know what I can relate to there is, like, why did it take them so long to discover? Right. And when I found out that Egyptology, okay, this is a field of archaeology, Egypt, it's like a field of archaeology and history at the same time. It's like its own field. Right. But Egyptology, when I found out that, that, like you said, we're talking late 1800s, that became a thing, I was right. like, hold on, only became a thing in the late 1800s. Straight away, my mind was like, how did that how did that only become a thing then, right? Like surely this would have been a thing. Is whenever you had academia begin, this should have been a thing then, right? You've got these giant bloody objects in the middle of the desert that someone put there. That that deserves to be its own field of inquiry. And you're telling me it only started in the late 1800s. Well, I want to learn more. One thing leads to another, leads to another, and uh, sure enough, you realise. And the other thing that got me was. It's only two or three people. Like, all the stories trace back to a couple of dudes. Right. And it's like, well, so these, these were the first two or three dudes who just tripped over these rocks in the desert, were they? Like, yeah, and, what, what, and then I found out that oh, the story is, oh, no, no, no. Plato wrote about this. Um, Plato was writing about these things as well. And that gets me looking further into this character, Plato. But then I discover there's no, like, there's no uh, primary sources for Plato's writings that are more than a couple of hundred years old. And right. that's when the penny drops and you start to think, no way. <laughs> well, now we're getting closer on to the calendar oh. hoax or into the time hoax. And where, where I, that's something I'm working on now, which is coming to a better understanding of exactly how long um, everybody's been here, which is in, at the end of the day, I'm, a, I, I'm just assuming now because I don't have an exact number, but it's, it's going to be a relatively short amount of time. 
I'm with you 100%, man. I'm with you 100%. Let me also tell you real quick before the, uh, I forget, what that led into then was, then, okay, if that's a hoax, then let me look at the Mexico pyramid hoaxes. And then I looked into that, and just so happens on Google Maps, you're able to go behind the actual uh, sun and moon complex. Uh, on the, they, Somebody took a Google camera on the back road, and you're able to go back on there and look, and you can see that the so-called uh, little uh, little pyramid temples were actually nothing more than just mounds, and they, they just cut these, the, the front side of the pyramid out of the mound and made it look like it was a buried buried object when you can see it's nothing more than just a shaped mound it's the, it was the most amazing thing I yeah, said, the, you're talking about mexico right and so yeah, you know how these stories there's also these temples in um like south america as well and the, right. the ancient mayans or mayans pronounce it however you want right. i was looking to this i think it was this time last year and i discovered that one of the leading experts in mayan history was like a 14 year old kid and i'm like what and because we have this idea that the academics are serious, professional, and we also have this idea that they're there to help us. Do you know what I mean? Like the same way that we imagine that doctors exist to help us. Yeah, they, they make money, but they're doing like a public good. Like they're our friends. This is how a lot of us imagine their so-called experts to be. Like they, it's like this genuine, serious field of inquiry. So if they say that something is thousands of years old, they must have a good reason for saying it. When you actually look into how these academics work, some of these fields, there's not many experts there. They're all parroting crap from people who came before them. Those people all trace back to a couple of sources. And some of them are so amateur that, yeah, like the the Mayan, and I don't have the the kid's name handy, but I found out that there was like a 14, 15-year-old kid giving lectures on Mayan history, which, no disrespect to to younger people, but that should raise some red flags for people, right? But it's just a right. joke field. It, it, this is all a joke. Now, I don't know if the kid is in on the joke. He could just be really good at memorizing books, and then he became like a prodigy in the field, right? Like, right. He, he, he gives very good lectures. He's very, he's very entertaining, right? And, hey, he knows what he's talking about. He's, he's been ordained by the other experts, right? That's how these things work. Right. But this whole thing is just a joke, man. It's a complete joke. Yeah, I was meaning, I was actually going to put that one video, that that one actually survived. I still have that one about the uh, the Mexico sun and moon complex. I'll put that in the general chat, so if people want to look at that. And it, what all that will do is just kind of give you an idea on, on how to look around, and then people can look for themselves at a lot of these different sites, like the uh, Gobel Tepley. Techly, I forget the name of hey, exactly how you say that one, but that, Go that's one. Tepe, bro. Yeah. yeah what, what's your opinion on that one? Well, I did a video on that years and years ago, and it's 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 another one of these goofy stories about the guy who's walking through, you know, the, the bluffs, and then he stumbles over an ancient, you know, artifact. You know, it's like he trips over, you know, this this city type nonsense. And back then, it was a shepherd. It's almost the same story as the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, you have this 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 kind of goofy character, the shepherd, out in the middle of nowhere, and then he just trips and falls over this this you know ancient discovery. And then when you look at the global temple, you see that it looks like nothing but poured concrete. It looks like something that was poured into a mold, quite literally poured concrete mold, and then placed there. Maybe and twenty minutes ago. on it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the central monolith has like yeah. this little lizard character on yeah. there. And yeah. this Quebec Tepe thing, honestly. I either hadn't heard of it or hadn't 
noticed, like, it means nothing to me, okay? Right. So if someone had said this to me in the past, or even if I'd seen someone's video, it, it hadn't registered in my brain. I didn't know about this yeah. until, like, a couple of months ago, oh. and I was hanging out with some people, and really, long story short, I was kind of hinting at a guy that, like, maybe what he thinks he knows about history, like, where do you where do you get these stories from, do you know what I mean? Like, I was... I wasn't coming at him directly as no history is fake. I was like, okay, but what what leads you to say that? What where do you get your idea that this is the case, right? And at the end of the conversation, he says to me, "Go look up Gebekli Tepe, right? It'll blow your mind. Go look it up." And I was like, "Gebekli Tepe, Gebekli Tepe." No, I had looked that one up, and right. I, I remember. Hold on, I remember looking this one up. This this one's a complete hoax, but I went and double checked. So I went and double checked, and it was even worse than I remembered. It's a complete oh, yeah. nut of farce. But then I found out that one of the main guys promoting this Gebekli Tepe, Joe Rogan, right? Oh, Because you know Joe Rogan does his podcast where he sits around with his friends and they all get high as kites. And they're yeah. all like, whoa, so we've got like this expert in and he's like read lots of books, man. Tell us about what you know, bro. And then, and then the expert's like, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, whoa. You know, and then t- this is a very popular show with young people. Very popular. Like, young men love Joe Rogan and his bullshit podcast, right? So, what I realized was that this dude, he was telling me that Go Blakely Tepe is evidence of uh, ancient history. I don't know for a fact that he got that from Joe Rogan, but I'm willing to bet that's where he got it from. I'm willing to bet. And then I brought this up with a friend of mine who does listen to Joe Rogan, and I said, I didn't say to him why I was bringing this up. I just was like, let's test my theory out. So I said to him, what do you know about Gobekli Tepe? First thing he says to me is, well, I was listening to Joe Rogan and he had this... I'm like, fuck, this is how they are seeding these bullshit stories into people's brains through experts on pop culture shows like Joe Rogan, right? Mm. Gobekli Tepe. Yeah, that thing's a joke. Yeah, that was a joke, man. Yeah, that was years ago. What happened was I was walking through a, a bookstore and I saw a National Geographic and it had it on the cover I want to say. So this, whenever year that came out was when I and so I, I stopped right, stopped in mid stride and I walked over and I looked at it and I said, wait a minute, here we go. So then I went home and I did a video on it and then I just pulled apart the, 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 the silly pictures they had and the story that went along with it which is, uh, I believe the the underlying or what what they want to get from the story is they want to push back the um, the time frame. So within exactly. within their t- science, they want to push back the time frame of when men you know populated cities, so called. And it, it, like I say, as that story as that lie continues, they always have to move the markers because they have to allow uh, their story to fit within goalposts. So sometimes they have to move the goalposts around a little bit. So that's they have to introduce it. Right, that's exactly what they do, right? So in one of these clips that I found of Joe Rogan, he's recounting the story of Gobekli Tepe. And he's like, they, they found these ruins that are 6,000 years old. But here's the thing. They have tales of another civilization before them that was another 7,000 years old. Whoa. So, so they're using this fake ancient civilization. They're using the stories that supposedly that ancient fake civilization had of a previous yeah. <laughs> civilization. To push back humans like 14,000 years, and then they throw in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, yeah. You see? So so they try and tie it all in together. 
So it's like fake history built on fake history, and how is it disseminated to the masses by clowns like Joe Rogan? And like you know this, Dave. I'm not here to criticize you or anyone who does smoke weed. I mean, I've smoked weed in the past as well. I'm not here to criticize anyone, but a lot of young people now they're smoking weed like it is going out of fashion, and mm. so they love this idea of getting high as kites and imagining things. Mm. So, so while they're getting high and listening to Joe Rogan, what are they doing? They're having these imaginative, like these imaginary stories, put into their brains about the ancient past, and it becomes real to them. Well, yeah, just so you know, I haven't actually smoked, and it's only due to uh, scarcity on, on where I'm at and, and availability uh, in over a year. So it was just... Um, that, that's cool, man. But, like, I've got nothing against weed. My, my concern is that if people are doing this on the regular, like, it's not just on the weekends as, um, you know, as a way to enjoy a productive week, right? Like, right. they've had a productive week, and so on the weekends, this is how they socialize, how they relax. That's one thing. My issue, and I didn't realize how widespread this was, is that a lot of people, they're either drinking after work every night a few beers, or they're smoking weed every night, um, you know, they're ripping a bong or whatever, or they're doing both. And they might say, oh, it's not every night, but it's like, okay, when didn't you do it? Oh, Tuesday last week. And so you see, it's, the days off are the exception. Yeah. And I think, I think that is, firstly, I don't think it's good for you in and of itself, but that's not the issue. It's more that that's a symptom of a deeper problem. If you have to unwind every day with um, with these external substances, if you have to, then what the hell is winding you up during the day? Right. You've got, you know what I mean? Like this. You're listening to another hour of Fakeologist Audio Chat on Fakeologist.com. Yeah, so I should make that clear. I'm not anti-weed. I'm not criticizing people who smoke weed. I'm not pretending that I have never smoked weed. But it's um, the Joe Rogan thing. It's just I know enough people now. I know there are young men out there who Joe Rogan... I'm not blaming Joe Rogan for this either. He's just some dude get, getting paid to do his podcast, right? This isn't his fault. He's just playing his role. But there are young people out there whose minds are being filled with utter nonsense. And it's happening while they're their brains aren't at full capacity because they're under the influence of stuff. And right. it's just, it's fascinating to me to see like, history is being pushed back as we speak. Right? Each and every time one of these clowns says, oh no, they've got this new discovery. They just put it through an electron microscope. They think it might be 20,000 years old. Whoa! Every time that happens, history is being pushed back further, like in real time, if you get what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And... um yeah, but I didn't mean to get sidetracked. We better go to Velocet. Velocet, you tell us, man, when was, uh, apart from 9-11, what was the hoax <laughs> that, that uh, humbled you as a person? The same way that I realized that I uh, I used to collect magazines, man, and what would happen is every episode you got a new uh, piece of the of the dinosaur, and over the course of the collecting the magazines, you could build your own dinosaur, right? I, I used to collect that magazine when I was a kid, the dinosaur magazine, realizing that I was actually... Like worshipping monsters. That's a yeah. very humbling experience, fella said. It's funny that you bring that up because I had the same. When I was little, I used to collect these 3D, you had 3D glasses and these in the mail, they'd send you a new, new dinosaur every week. So you'd put on your 3D glasses and you could see it coming out of the paper at you. So we all had, yeah, like, <laughs> must have just been a thing around that time. We're around the same age. So Bro, I'm pretty sure both. that was the same one that I'm talking about. That's yeah, how they, well, there you go. They, there you go. they had the 3D the glasses and they had the build-your-own-dinosaur, and it's ingenious because once you get the first few pieces, 
it's almost like a sunk cost fallacy. You you have to keep collecting the whole series now. Oh, yeah. Because the first yep. few pieces are useless. <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty sure the spine piece, you didn't get that one until like the last or the second yeah, last uh, episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you talk about dinosaurs because my best laugh out loud moment with your material is when you're talking about Jurassic Park in the opening scene where Sam Neill the kid, the little kid doesn't believe in dinosaurs and Sam Neill grabs out this claw and, and teaches the kid how dangerous the dinosaur is and you say, it's like um, Spielberg was cementing in children's minds that if you don't believe in these monsters, you're a little fat kid pussy. Yeah. <laughs> that's always stuck with me because that's a great line. He, but, they intentionally um, cast a fat kid for the spot as if that's by accident. Sub, <laughs> sub, subliminally put it in your mind. Because what yeah, the kid says is... gene pool order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like what the kid says is... They don't sound very scary. And then it's almost like Sam Neill parts the sea. All the other people get out of the way. And Sam Neill says, don't fuck with me, buddy boy. I'm about to destroy you in front of this whole group of people. So you never question. And then the people applaud him. Yeah. Um, probably the biggest for me would have to be Flat Earth. Like, and not, not the specifics of a Flat Earth model, but coming to the realisation that we don't actually know where we live and people can be so easily deceived and so confident on a completely global scale about where we live, to me, is bizarre. And it opens up all these hypothetical questions about existence and the matrix and all this crazy stuff because you go, holy shit, we don't actually know. If I can share with you another funny little story, and maybe, maybe it's not the hoax of Flat Earth, but more so, in your work, you were one of the first to start pointing out that the Flat Earth movement, as it was called, was a bit of a joke and a bunch of jokers and deceivers and clowns. But um, I'd spent so long on YouTube watching Flat Earth stuff uh, going back a few years. For me, one of the most bizarre experiences was about... See, I've been watching YouTube, right, where we've got all these um, gags in the Google Hangouts and we've got chills and all that kind of stuff. There was all these memes that went along with the Flat Earth movement on YouTube. Now, my mum is into knitting and she watches all these. She sits on the weekend for knitting and watches knitting podcasts. And the most bizarre thing for me was when I saw that no different to the way I sat in front of YouTube watching Flat Earth, this is about a year ago, she was sitting in front of Google Hangouts watching all the knitting people. And they do all the same gags where they have the same book so they pretend to pass it to each other over a Google Hangout. And they even have like knitting shills where, oh, this person's just injecting themselves to sell their wool. And I'm like, holy shit, this is Flat Earth under another name. It's, it's the same no matter what subculture you go into. It's all the same memes, same ideas, all sitting around on Google Hangouts wasting time. And that Wait was the most bizarre experience for me. So your mum was watching Google Hangouts, so people were live broadcasting themselves and, like, the central knitting. thing was knitting. Yep. And, and it's all the same as... They had all the same... All the same, well, it's the same framework. Like, just the friends thing? like, you know how the fake... Yep, the yep, yeah, exactly, thing. exactly. It's, it's all the same thing, all the business, oh, and it's all... And they're even, yeah. They even make videos pointing out that this woman's a shill because she's only selling wool. It's all the same shit, the same framework, just a different topic. And this must happen with every subculture on earth. They're all sitting around on hangouts. So, see, I'd spend all this time in the truth one, thinking we're really making a difference here. But once you see everyone sitting around on their on their iPads and that doing the same thing, it's like, oh my god, this is crazy. Oh, did you have you like taken the time to look into who started first? Like, um, if Patricia Spear oh, and and this other flat Earth nonsense, if they started 2015, I wonder when the wool 
when the wool um, tr- it's the around the same started. time. Around the same movement. time. I only cottoned on to this a year ago. Hey, John. Framing, want, oh, you know what I mean. Speaking of that flat Earth thing, I, see, I was starting to do. I did some videos at the very beginning when when things were just starting to, to move along, and then it wasn't maybe a month after that. There was almost like a a period to where you could get some pretty good videos out and not a month after that you you had people like Eric Dubay, uh Patricia Steer and what's his name the clues guy came out Sergeant, with, uh, Sergeant. yeah they all came out all all in force and then just took the oxygen out of the room basically took took all the uh, you know took took over that whole scene and then it, it is what it is now and then you have people like Jaronism and and people like that who who came in and just um Basically, just destroyed what was what was going there because there is a there is a topic to have a conversation about and to to look into there. However, it's been it's been <laughs> camouflaged by a bunch of uh, charlatans now. It's, it has. I agree with you about that. What I would say though is those charlatans only have an audience because the audience exists. Do you know what I mean? Like um, the the masses get, and this is where a lot of people disagree with me. And that's fine. But this is my opinion now. The the clown at the front of the stage putting on a clown show, he's not going to do it if no one's watching, right? He needs people to come and watch to make it worth his while. And there are these people out there who want that clown at the front. They want Patricia Steer and Mark Sargent pretending to be their friends and doing the flat awards and all this crap. So I'm not trying to defend any of um, those leading flat earth clowns and charlatans, but it's like it's not as though... There were there were genuine, genuine truth-seeking people with genuine questions and a willingness to read and to think. Who were all sitting around having a good conversation, and then the clowns came along and stole the audience. Mm. That's not how it was. I thought there were people who wanted to ask serious questions and have a serious discussion, and that's why I was doing the Paul Skeptic Roundtable. But I later discovered that some of the points that I made in that series, no one, no one heard me make those points. In fact. They remember things the opposite of what they were. So I had, I had intelligent people telling me once that series was finished, no, I'm sure you were a flat earther. And I'm like, and this was back when those episodes were still on, online for anyone to listen to. I'm like, I go back and listen to them. I'm saying to these flat earthers, here's the problem with your flat earth beliefs, right? So not only did I remember me pointing out the problems with flat earth, and not only could you go and listen to this for yourself, it was all there documented. Still people told me, no, I was sure you were a flat earther. And so what that taught me was people will remember things completely differently to how they actually happened, right? And this happens to all of us. All of us can get confused from time to time. But on a mass, if you put enough of these humans together, their memories might as well be make-believe from the outset. That's how, that's how little their subjective memory has in common with the objective reality, right? It's phenomenal. Yeah, so where I'm going with this, where I'm going with this, Dave, is it's not like it's not like there were good people who, whose work was overtaken. There was never many good people to begin with, and, and to this day, there still aren't. To this day, try and find someone who can have a conversation with you, where you can both agree that weighing the Earth with heavy balls in a shed is bullshit. Right. But but there are flights from Australia to South America. There are flights from. Africa to Australia. There is a southern pole star. There's, a, there's two pole stars. Try and find someone who can see the problems with spinning ball, all, with spinning ball earth and flat earth. 
See, yeah, I took a, yeah, I took a different approach than all that. Uh, I what I did was I did I, I don't know it, it wound up being almost forty videos total of experimentation. Uh, what I did was actual you know on the ground experimentation and uh, took those results and let them be what they were, which was just the, the verifiable results. And people and what I wanted people to do was to take what I showed them and do it themselves, meaning take what I showed you, do it yourself, and see what results you get. If you get the same results across several different people, then that's a verifiable result. Uh, however, like I say, with most of this stuff, in fact, all of this stuff, it's work that one has to do themselves, and they have to, you know, what they accept in their head as a truth needs to be verified by themselves because if they're coming to a truth because they heard it from somebody else, they're just doing themselves a disservice because they've done no work to come to that conclusion. Yeah, and as you would have learned the hard way, just as I have, is most people don't want to do the work. They don't want to read the books. They don't want to sit down with a pen and paper and take notes. They'll tell you and they'll tell themselves that they're too busy. And sure, people are busy. People are working, looking after kids, whatever. Ultimately, though, if you've got three hours a week to watch YouTube videos, you've got three hours a week to watch the videos and take notes. Do you know what I mean? And it, the thing with the flat earthers is, and this is just one example, if you take notes about what these idiots are saying, you will see them contradicting themselves week to week to week on, on very important topics, such as, are there two pole stars, right? Such as, do the flights exist? This, or such as how many people, how many people did you say are listening to your shows? How many people are sending through money? Like, they contradict. What did you used to do for a job? Like, Bob from Globebusters claims to have been like 10 different things in the past. He's been an airline pilot. He's been a bouncer. He's been a radio signals engineer. Like, what the, what are you talking about? Here's you know the mean? thing with, yeah, that, that guy in particular, that, that show in particular, what I didn't like was, and I went after them a few times. As you know, back then I'd go after a few of these charlatans. Is they would intermix hoax stories, and at the, what really what what drove me over the over the edge with them was that they they brought in the uh, McMartin preschool hoax for for no apparent reason. Once they got an audience, they started to introduce these scare story hoaxes, like they would do a couple flat Earth videos, and then all of a sudden a McMartin preschool video where they claimed these children died and they were using little skulls as shoes. So yeah, I had to to go after them about that because they that that's just as bad because it, there's an ulterior motive there. It's to build trust and then to reintroduce people who are being or being taken out of a mainstream narrative and being brought back into it at the same time. So to me, whether they were being uh, on their own or just um, I don't know what their motivation was, but the end result of their actions was that they were reintroducing stories and lies and, and ghoulism to a group of people who who should have known better. Yeah, and what's more, their audience, you would have noticed this, the act realm is full of people who love stories about pedophile rings and mm. child abuse. Yeah. And I, I didn't used to understand it, now I think I do. What is it that causes these people to want to hear stories about children that they've never met and who might not actually exist being abused? Right, and and these people get off on these stories, right? Some yeah. of them actively seek out these stories on a constant basis of child abuse, pedophile rings, etc. 
So some of these stories, it's that same uh, like macabre element of, right. ooh, what are the evil elites up to today? And, yeah. and it all just helps to reinforce his conditioning, which leads them to be so certain that there's these boogeymen out there, these evil elites out there, blah, blah, blah. Shooter in the one of the reasons. It's one of the reasons why I think when I come along and I say, well, maybe the elites are evil. I mean, I'm, I used to believe that too. Maybe they're not evil after all. They've got these little anchors in their brain that are like, no, they're evil. Of course they're evil. They're abusing all these kids. And I'm like, what kids? What are you talking about? Oh, it was all admitted. They, they admitted it in the BBC. I'm like, oh, so we trust the BBC now, do we? Oh, no, not just them. There, there's this guy called QAnon. I'm like, what the? What are you talking about, man? Mm. Like, all of these people, they're beyond... They're, they're not coming back, man. They're never coming back to... You know what I mean? It's too, it's too late now for them. It's over. Yeah. Anyway, guys, I've really enjoyed this chat. We're going to have to do this again sometime. Dave, uh, you and I, we've been talking about having a chat for a long time, and I've been saying to you, once the full-time work is over, I'm free. Well, the full-time work is over, thank God, so I'm back to being a relatively free man. We'll yeah, have yeah. to tease something up soon and uh, have a proper chat. I really enjoy this, Dave, and I've said this to you before. You and I might have had uh, disagreements in the past. You might have thought that I was... Um, <laughs> What was Gino's friend's name? Uh, put me uh, out here. Um, you know the guy I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I forget his name now. He, he's a real person, by the way. I don't, I don't know if I've told you this before, but he actually is a real person. And like, I've met Gino, and uh, that dude who looks... Well, you say that he looks like me. I don't really think we look that similar. But we do both... We did used to both have uh, big beards. Right. And we said we were the same person. Um, right. Tristan. Tristan. Tristan, Tristan yeah. Tristan. <laughs> Yeah, he, no, he's a real person, man, and he's not me, and he's... So, you and I might have got our wires crossed in the past, but... No, you've done good work, man, and I appreciate it, and the longer this charade goes on, where these people claim to be awake, but they still haven't caught up to where you were five years ago, or to right. where Marcus Allen was five years ago, the more I think to myself, what is going on here, man? What the hell is going on here? Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. What, the, what the hell is going on? Marcus Allen was saying, five years ago... Yes, they do have photos of coffins in planes coming back from Iraq. That's true. Do you know what's in the coffins, right? Five years ago, he was saying that. To this day, people attack me for saying that war is a hoax, yeah? Yeah. You were saying five years ago, Egypt, ancient Egypt, this ain't no King Tut 2,000-year-old yeah. tomb. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. a clown show, right? Right. Yeah. To, to this day, most of the act realm aren't aware that ancient history is fake, yeah? And it's like they've had time to catch up and... And they haven't caught up. And then you start to realise they're not going to catch up, most of them. They're incapable. Yeah. Well, they get stuck on the topic and stay there. You know, it's it's like the uh, JFK hoaxers, those that just spend their entire life looking at one, one, one hoax or one conspiracy, so-called, and never understand that... that what the what they were supposed to be their their final answer was that nobody died nobody got hurt actually and if they ever got to that point they could move on but they don't but want let to me get give there. an example of a Dave J uh, idea that when I first heard it I wasn't really ready for right. let, me, let me see tell me if you can remember this one this is a dummy this is a dummy oh yeah <laughs> yeah 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 that was it JFK JFK I wasn't ready That's for it at the time right. So, but, I mean, yeah, now, once you, it's like once you see it's a dummy, you can't see that, can you? <laughs> well, when you, when you have someone showing you the footage, and um, and you like, I'm talking about me here. When the first time I see the, the someone showing the footage and saying this is a dummy, this is a dummy, I'm like, well, what you know? How can you prove that? Blah blah blah. Well, we can't. It's just video footage, right? right. So what does this look like to you? 
Right. Actually, yeah, it does actually look like a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and why is that? Because it's a freaking film prop. Right. right. That's why. Yeah. That was something else, man. Yeah. That has so many. I mean, we'd have to talk about that whole thing on the on the uh, with its own topic. But that topic alone has so many uh, tentacles into what's happening today, uh, as far as characters that you might know through YouTube and other, uh, you know, video sharing services. Even today, that still reverberates the characters. Big time, big yeah, time. So. I can give you an example, right? We're using this program called Discord to chat right now. Right. A few decades ago, someone released, they started a new religion supposedly called Discordianism, mm. and they released a book called the Principia Discordia. That was later used as the source material for the guy who made the Illuminati card games. Mm. So you know how there's all these Illuminati cards, like, say, um, Pentagon, right? right? Or the Illuminati card game, say, um, the one that actually shows buildings being attacked, like terrorist nukes, mm-hmm. and people are like, ooh, predictive programming, whatever. And some or of these cards die. do seem... To, or Princess Die, that's a good one. Yeah, the Princess Die one says that her weakness is media, right? right? And that card came out before she supposedly died, right? So these cards do seem to have predictive... Some of them do seem that way, right? The guy who made that card series released a companion PD, like a companion book for the card series, and he said that his inspiration were the Illuminatus Trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson and the Principia Discordia. Robert Anton Wilson says that Principia Discordia was one of his inspirations. And the point of my story here is that one of the people who helped produce the Principia Discordia, he was involved in the JFK charade himself. Like, he was one of the ones who helped prosecute the case. Right. So just think about that. The card games that people say are evidence of conspiracies come from a guy who says he got it from the Principia, which was published by a guy who was involved in the JFK story. Like, directly involved. Yeah. And I've never heard anyone talk about this. I don't think anyone has realized this. The only reason why I've realized this is because I've been doing the reading. I've been reading these people's source material. And I'm like, hold on. Thornley, that's not the same guy, is it? And then you trace back, you trace back. Yeah, it's the same guy. It's like, say, do you remember that, um, the, what's his name? Uh, O.J. Simpson, right? O.J. Right. Simpson was in that trial, uh, supposedly. The, the, one of the lawyers involved in that case is like the father of the Kardashian family. Yeah, he sure is. What the hell are the odds of that? Yeah, it's all show business. It's all show business, man. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. And it's like, you say to people, do you remember how when Michael Jackson was supposedly, there was that case where he was being sued for kitty fiddling or whatever? Yeah. And then there was that made-for-TV recreation of what was happening in the trial? It's like, people so wanted to know what was happening in the courtroom that they would watch a recreation of it. Like, that's, that's how much interest is in it. It's like, yeah, if people are that hooked on the trial, why wouldn't you just fake the whole thing? Do you know what I mean? There's money in this. Yeah. It's business. Yeah, it's a, it's a reality show. It's all so a reality well. show, man. Yeah. And now I'm going to go, Dave, what we're going to do is, if you're okay, cool with this, I'll send you an email tomorrow. Let's, let's organize a chat. I'll see if I can organize a time of Velis that can be there. And why okay. don't the three of us continue the chat uh, elsewhere? And I might make that one for uh, johnthebond.com. But this one's come out on fakeologist.com. I'll re-upload this publicly as the JLB chats. Uh, I'll probably do that tomorrow. Uh, this has been August 6, August 7, 2018 on fakeologist.com Australia time. Big thanks to... Uh, this is my sign-off, guys. You guys can sign off after me. Let me just sign off quickly. Big thanks to Ab. He and I might get our wires crossed every now and then, but he is still 
and honorary member of johnlebond.com. He deserves to be. That's good work here at fakeologist.com. Thank you to Ab. Thank you to Drunk Rollo. If only that guy was sober, or at least stopped pretending to be drunk, he'd be a great guy. Anyway, thanks to Cody who was here. Thanks to Fellas Set. Thanks to Dave J. I'm going to shut up, let these guys sign off, and I'll see you guys next time, all right? All right. Very nice talking to you, John. Yeah, hey, yeah, nice talking to both of you guys. Go yeah. ahead. It just reminded me of Jack Jack Ruby, the Ruby Slippers, and Oz Oswald, Wizard of Oz. That's all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's all. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you look, it just starts to become uh, quite, com- uh, 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 what do they call that, a uh, drama comedy. Mm, dramedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I look forward to chatting again in the future. Thanks for your time. Okay, yeah, no worries. Talk to you later. Cheers, man. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Spiro from Holland. You listen to Fakeologist Radio on fakeologist.com.